0: So we are studying the first three chapters of Romans in our series titled Vital Truths in Focus. Today we are uh, looking at chapter 3 and uh, and so I, I feel, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like the Apostle Paul has my theological head underwater and he's just sort of holding me there and I want to come up for air and he won't let me up and chapter 1 he's just, just holding me down there reminding me that I'm a sinner and the wrath of God rests upon me because of my sin and I'm going to face God's judgment. And then chapter 2, he just kept at it. And, and even here in chapter 3, and I'm like, come on, I'm losing hope. And I think that's the point. I think the Apostle Paul wants us to come to a place where we just give up on any hope that we, that we can rescue ourselves From the great problem of sin in our lives. Now, next week, he lets us up, and next week we 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 get to celebrate the good news of the gospel that God has rescued us in Jesus Christ. Um, But you gotta you gotta wonder why does he take so much real estate in this letter to the Romans and and devoted to this. One basic idea that we are sinful, and the wrath of God rests upon us, and His judgment of condemnation is coming. Why uh, spend, you know, two and a half chapters just hammering that? And I think, I think it's because God knows uh, how resistant we are to being Uh, needy see human pride resists terribly strongly resists being framed as a a needy person right so we would be okay if paul were saying saying let me give you a pep talk to rally your will yeah okay or i'm going to give you some new laws that i want you to follow okay or I'm going to, let me give you some, some uh, tips on how to do better. Okay, right? But I'm, I'm still going to save myself, just with some more determination and, and with some more skill and, and effort. And, but what Paul just keeps pounding and bounding and bounding is you can't save yourself. You are utterly sinful, without hope. Apart from Jesus Christ, and and our, our our pride resists that desperately. We don't want to get be at a place of need. Um, and so what Paul has been doing is he he knowing this about us, he has just uh, just painstakingly taken away all of our um, self hope. And so, if you remember chapter 1, he started off by saying, look, the person who wants who lives life without regard for God or the, or the rules of God, uh, well, that person is under the wrath of God and will be condemned at the judgment. And most of us thought, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And then in chapter 2, he then said, aha, but the moral person isn't in any better shape. Your boat's sinking too because... Uh, no matter how hard you try, you can't be good enough to attain to God's standard. You still sin. You might do it less often, but you still sin. You're a sinner, and you too will be condemned at the judgment. And then in chapter 2, verse 12, uh, he he answered the question, well, what about those who never hear? What about the people who haven't been taught God's standard? Surely they're not going to be condemned at the judgment. They didn't know. And... and Paul says, well, actually, even though they might not have had access to the Bible, God has written His law on our hearts. He's given us a conscience that bears witness to that law, and every single person on the planet sins against their conscience, does what they know is wrong. They don't need to be condemned by the Bible. The law written on their own hearts will condemn them. And then finally, Paul looked at the Jew, because the Jews were insistent that God was going to treat them differently at the judgment. We are the special people of God. We've been circumcised. We have the, the prophets. And uh, God's not going to judge us in the same way that He does the Gentiles. Sur- surely we will be treated specially because we're special. And Paul said, now... On one hand, he said, yes, being a Jew is a wonderful spiritual blessing, most notably because you have been given the the Word of God. You understand the will and the ways of God, and so you're way better off. But not when it comes to the judgment, because you will be judged according to your deeds in the same way that the Gentiles are, and you too have sinned, so you too are in a sinking boat under the wrath of God, and will be condemned at the judgment. And so just it's kind of one um, place that we might think we can escape and another and another and another. And finally, you know, he just keeps stripping away our pillars of hope in self. And he leaves us hopeless without Christ. And so in our text today, he, he summarizes humanity's spiritual condition. Here it is. Humanity is absolutely lost without hope, sinful and will be judged for our sin. And so let's go ahead if you have your bibles turned to Romans chapter 3, we're going to be looking today at verses 9 through 20. And this is a court scene. It's actually, it's a court scene. Uh, You know, the Bible tells us in many places that uh, we're going to be judged ultimately. We're going to have to face the judgment and give an account to God for how we've lived our lives. Uh, For example, Acts 17.31, He has fixed a day on which He'll judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He's given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead, Jesus is going to someday judge the world. Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Matthew 12, 36 and 37, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. So, we're going to be judged, and, and you might wonder, what's that going to look like? Well, in this text today, Paul tells us what that final judgment's going to look like. If you are not in Christ by faith, this is your fate. And Paul, uh, God tells us right here. And why does, he warn, why does He tell us the future? So that we can make decisions today... That will bring life, and He doesn't want this future for us. So here we read, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So there's the charge, there's the accusation that's being brought against humanity. Uh, And actually, it's God who... In this text, you'll note that God is both judge, jury, and prosecutor. And God, God is bringing the charge against both Jews and Greeks. That's a shorthand for all humanity because that was the, the division, the binary division of all peoples. You were either a Jew or a Greek in the minds of the Jews. And, and Paul says all, all, both Jews and Greeks, all humans are under Sin. What does it mean to be under sin? Well, primarily it means to be mastered by sin, to be under its control. Chapter 6, he says we're slaves to sin. Sin has dominion over us. We we are uh, under the kingdom of darkness and the prince of darkness rules over us. Now, by the way, this is a description of humanity... Apart from Jesus, a description of humanity apart from God uh, intervening on your behalf but you know in your on your on your own this is what is true of you you're under sin sin is your master you might think that you're in charge of your life but you're actually not you follow the the dictates of your sin nature another another aspect of being under sin that that speaks to me is if you were to pile my sins up, right? Every, everything I've ever done since the time I was born, every th- sinful thought, every attitude, sinful attitude, every sinful desire, um, it, every sinful word that's come out of my mouth, every sinful thing I've done, you pile it up, it would bury me. Right? We are under sin. So, the whole point is that our core identity, spiritually, is that of sinner. Not, you know, oh, I'm a, I'm a good person who sometimes does a few bad things. Or, uh, you know, I am a, I'm better than other people. No, our core identity, as God sees us, is we are under sin. We are sinners. So that's the charge, that's the accusation. And now comes the evidence, verse 10. As it is written. Now, the evidence is is given from verses 10 to 18. And the evidence against us, right? The charge is all people are sinful, and the evidence is actually the testimony of God, which, of course, is sure and trustworthy and all that matters is God's opinion, uh, what Paul has done here is he's strung together a bunch of Old Testament quotes. So verses 10 through 18 are direct quotes from the Old Testament that Paul has stitched together here like a, like a pearl of um, Scriptures, like a pearl necklace. And, and it's God's testimony about humanity apart from Christ. That's why the introduction is as it is written, right? So he's reaching back into the Old Testament. So here is what God says about people. None is righteous. No, not one. That none includes you and includes me. No exceptions. There's not a single person on the planet other than Jesus Christ who is right with God, apart from faith in Christ. And if you're not right with God, it means in His eyes, you're wrong. No one is righteous. No, not one. That means that Gandhi, Muhammad Gandhi, uh, won the peace, Nobel Peace Prize, led his people in a nonviolent resistance to british rule successfully and yet and and he's you know very admired and well respected but not even a guy like gandhi as far as we know he never put his faith in christ even he is not righteous in god's eyes verse 11 no one understands what does that mean that means without god Granting us spiritual insight and wisdom, we would not be able to uh, perceive what is good and noble and true and right. Here are some scriptures on this, by the way. 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God? So, uh, Satan is blinding the mind of the unbelievers, and the only way for that blindness to be remedied is with is for God to act upon us by His Holy Spirit, and make us see. First Corinthians one21 to twenty-four, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, think about that, the world did not know God through wisdom. The best philosophers, the best thinking uh, of, of humans did not lead them to God. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God doesn't make sense to, to the world, to the unregenerate mind. Ephesians 4.17, now I say this, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. No one is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. I called my mom this week. I said, Mom, I've heard you say that you were seeking God as a, a, a young adult woman um, before you became a Christian. But Romans 3, 11 says no one seeks for God. How do you reconcile that? And uh, the conclusion we came to is, the only reason I was seeking God is because God was drawing me. Jesus says, "No one comes to the Father, comes to me unless the Father draws him." That left to myself, she said I would never seek God, but God chose to draw me, and as a result I began to seek him, and of course, because he was drawing me, I found Jesus. All have turned aside together they've become worthless. What have what have what have we turned aside from? We've turned aside from the path God wants us to walk, from the life He intended us to live. Look, God did not create us and say, "Go do whatever you want." God created us with a purpose. God has a purpose for people, and that purpose is to be in relationship with Him and to be in uh, in harmony with others and the and the created world and to represent Him, and and we all, every single person has turned aside from that path, nobody apart from Christ lives the life God wants them to live. And as a result, together they have become worthless. In God's mind, you're not doing what you were created to do, therefore you're worthless. And what He means by that is not that you have no value, but you're not fulfilling your function. You're not fulfilling the function for which I created you. No one does good, not even one. So this is is God's verdict on all people apart from Jesus Christ. You're not righteous. You don't have a spiritual understanding. You're not seeking me. You've turned aside from the life I want you to live. You've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Wow. Wow. That is quite a a, a condemnation. And it continues. Verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Notice that. Throat, tongue, lips, mouth. It's, It's what is inside of us coming out. Think about the imagery here. Their throat is an open grave. An open grave. Uh, the assumption is that there is a, a decaying body in the grave, so a foul stench coming out, emanating. Do you want to hang out, near an open grave? No, that's disgusting. And why would our throat be an open grave? Well, because what's inside is dead, and disgusting. Right. It it speaks to a, a, a rotten heart, a wickedness. They use their tongues to deceive, not to build up, not to speak the truth, not to testify about God's goodness, but to tell lies. Why? Because their father, the devil, is the father of lies. The venom of asps is under their lips. An asp is a poisonous snake. The venom of asps is under their lips, so they're spewing out poison. And, and those who come in contact with it are, are poisoned, are harmed. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Curses, statements that are intending to cut other people down and harm people. And bitterness. Bitterness. And uh, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this is a testimony to uh, what's inside people. This is God's testimony about the true state of humans, all humans, apart from Jesus Christ. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Shed blood, would inc- up, up to and including murder. And, and not that, you know, it's not people are hesitant to, no, they're quick to. I will cut you down to get ahead. If you get in my way, I'll knock you over. Right? We're swift to do that. Why? Because we don't care about other people. We care about ourselves and our priorities. In their paths are ruin and misery. Not only the path that that we walk on brings about ruin and misery, but I think also in our wake we leave ruin and misery In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. So this is violence, destruction, conflict. That's what characterizes their their lives. Not harmony and joy and peace and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness. Not the fruit of the Spirit's. In verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This this is God's testimony as to the true spiritual state of people who have not repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Even those who are hyper-religious. Even those who are trying so hard to discipline their bodies and control their emotions and kill off their uh, desires, right? This is true of them. It's true of you apart from Jesus, and it's true of me apart from Jesus. And, and so, it's pretty shocking though, <laughs> But here's my question. Can, can you receive that? Can you receive God's testimony about yourself as true? Can you accept that? Or, or, does, or do you resist it and say, no, not me. Maybe other people. Maybe some people. Not everybody, certainly, and certainly not me. Well, if, if you cannot accept God's testimony about yourself, as written here, you are deceived. God is not wrong. You're deceived. You're, you, are, you are deceived about yourself. And, of course, the evil one wants to deceive you. Satan is happy with you thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, because then you won't run to Jesus to get saved. Satan is happy for you to think of yourself as a good person. That's part of being blinded, right? Satan, the evil one, blinds the minds of the unbelievers so they can't see the glory of the gospel. And part of that deception is being deceived into thinking you're not as bad as you really are. And so God, in His love for us, says, no, let me tell you the truth. (laughs) You're not righteous, you don't understand, you don't seek God, you have turned aside and become worthless, you don't do good. Your throat's an open grave. You use your tongue to deceive. Venom of asps is under your lips. Your mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Your feet are swift to shed blood. In your paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace you haven't known. And then there's no fear of God before your eyes. That's you. That's me apart from Jesus. And we need to own that if we want to be saved. Verse 19. So we've had the accusation. We've had the testimony, and now we're coming to the verdict. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin." What's the point of the law? Uh, God God gave the Jews and he gave the the moral law written on the hearts. Why? Well, certainly it blesses us to obey it. But one of the purposes that Paul says, uh, one of the purposes of the law that Paul says, uh, points out in Romans, is that the law alerts us to the fact that we are falling short of the glory of God that we are not righteous. The law, uh, it gives us the knowledge of sin and helps us to see how far we are from what God intended us to be. Verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Boy, that's something you, you underline in your Bible. This is a spiritual truth. You've got to grasp. For by works of the law, in other words, for by with good works, doing good things, no human being will be justified in his sight. On the day of judgment, here's what God is saying, on the day of judgment when everyone gives an account, there won't be a single person throughout human history who will have done enough good deeds... To warrant God saying, you know what? You're right with me. I accept you. That was good enough. I applaud you. Come be with me. The the path of being good enough to earn God's love, to earn His acceptance, to earn salvation, that path right here, underline that verse. It is, it is repudiated so directly for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight. Nobody has ever, not a single person, has ever done enough good works to impress God enough to get into heaven. That's what it says. So if you are... If you are embark, if you're on the path of, I'm just going to do enough good things, I'm going to be a good enough person that God is going to accept me, the Bible right here says that won't work. That dog won't hunt. That is, you're not going to, you can't win that game. It's an unwinnable game. Here's another thing I want you to underline so that every mouth may be stopped. So that every mouth may, may be stopped. Oh. We want. We want to defend ourselves. We want to excuse. And, and I think that we, maybe we even hold out hope that on Judgment Day we can say, but God, I had a rough childhood. God, did you see the way the, all the bad things that happened to me? Oh, I had such a hard life. God, people did not treat me right. I was constantly getting the short end of the stick. God, I didn't get good teaching or enough teaching. God, you didn't didn't reveal yourself to me in in a powerful enough way. God. On and on and on. Yes, I know I've failed, but there are some mitigating circumstances. And if you'll just take those into consideration, you'll see that actually I'm really not that bad and you should accept me. But on the day of judgment, the whole world will be held accountable to God and every mouth will be stopped. What he's saying is there will be no defense. No human will give, be able to give a, def, a defense for their wickedness. They will stand condemned. There's no defense. You're wicked. End of story. God, God knows you better than you know yourself, He's rendered a verdict of guilty. And you don't even get a chance to defend yourself. Because there is no defense. That's the point. God knows you. There is no circumstance you can tell God about that He is not fully aware of. And He still considers you guilty. And that's where we... I'm I'm not going to end there right now. But that is where our text for tonight ends. My head is still, my theological head is still under the water. And, and, uh, and I have to just stop struggling, stop imagining that I can save myself, and, and, and just give up. And, and that's, that's what God is, that's what Paul's trying to do, that, and, and because... It's only when we give up any hope of saving ourselves that we are primed to look for a Savior. You will try to be your own Savior uh, if you think there's any possible chance that you can save yourself. You want to be the hero, and you will try to be the hero until, you, until God opens your eyes to the fact that you can't save yourself you will not be the hero of this story you're the wicked one in total need of being saved without any hope unless a rescuer comes right that's if you uh, we, we have got to come to that point where we just acknowledge to God that is true of me outside of Jesus Christ that is, that is true of me I can't save myself. I I am rightfully condemned. And then, and only then, can we open our eyes and begin to look to be saved. And then the next verse, which we're going to get to next week. Here we are. we're, We're at this place of just total, absolute despair, hopelessness. And then the next verse says, but now. But now. Right at our point of total desperation and total need, but now god right sends jesus but now god acts on our behalf listen the 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 it is it is hard it is hard to receive the grace of god may i say it is impossible to receive the grace of god when your hands are full with your own self righteousness and self sufficiency Right? As long as you are holding on to any hope of, of saving yourself, you're not going to be able to embrace the Savior. And the more that you give up pretension and, 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 and hope of in yourself, the more you can enter into the joy of your salvation. So what did Sabrina say? How did you put that about? We talk about sin a lot around here, but kind of almost joyfully because... Because we're not trying to save ourselves. We're not trying to pretend to be good. We're not casual about sin. Sin is destructive and we don't want it in our lives. But Jesus has rescued us. Jesus has rescued us. So next week we're going to get to the the glories of the gospel. But I don't want you, if you don't know Jesus, I don't want you waiting a week. We don't know what's going to happen this week. Christ could return. You could die. And so... Listen, if you have never acknowledged your sinfulness and embraced Jesus to save you, you could do that right now. And uh, here's a prayer you can pray. There aren't, there aren't any magical words, but God says, As many as receive him, Jesus, to them gave you the right to become children of God. God so love the world. Whoever believes, he sent his only son, uh, and whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. So you can just say this God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sins. I believe Jesus is your son, and I want him to save me. Just say that simple prayer, and God will, if that, if you mean that, God will hear you. It's that simple. Jesus saves us. We turn to him, and we say, save me, Jesus. And he does. It's amazing. It's amazing. Let's pray. God... <clears throat> We say no to the voice of pride, and we say yes to your testimony about us. We accept your testimony about our sinfulness, our total need, and we say yes to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You did not wait for us to uh, adjust ourselves or better ourselves. Lord, you, in our in our total weakness in our total um, need, you acted on our behalf. Thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.